What does it mean to inwardly digest God's Word? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery tells his story of finding confessional Lutheranism to be the most scripturally faithful theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. It is difficult to overestimate the influence of Pentecostalism, not only in American Christianity, but in global Christianity. A lot of that new growth in the Southern Hemisphere of Christianity is Pentecostal growth. So what is its theology? What are the problems with Pentecostalism, and where did it come from? Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Joining us to discuss the history of modern Pentecostalism, Dr. Nancy Almodovar. She's adjunct professor of world religions at Park University, author of several books, including her latest, Creedal Apologetics, and a column for the Logia Journal titled The Forgotten History of Modern Pentecostalism. Nancy, welcome back. Thank you, Pastor Todd. It's good to be back. What is Pentecostalism? The modern version is the resurgence of what we call the fivefold ministry, teachers, evangelists, miracle workers, visionaries, tongues and interpretation, dreams, direct revelation from God. It's kind of a hodgepodge now of what it accepts as this is biblical. It's almost trying to recreate the first century church with all the miracles, tongues, visions, interpretations. That's what modern Pentecostalism is today. Why do Lutherans need to understand Pentecostalism and its origins? The reason is that it's seeping into even non-Pentecostal versions of evangelicalism. It's the God told me aspect. And Lutherans must understand there is a completely different view of Christ, of scripture, and of how God deals with his people. And they're not the same as us. One thing the ladies at the Ladies Bible Study at Church have always remarked were, prior to me coming and becoming Lutheran, they thought Christians were Christians. We're not. And there is a huge difference on essentials. Why do so many believe that the Pentecostal movement began in 1906 with the Azusa Street Revival? That's because the major Pentecostal church, Assemblies of God, point to that event in Azusa as the start of what they call the latter rain, where God is pouring out his spirit. And what happened was tongues and interpretation began to flash through a house on Azusa Street in California. The majority don't even know that that's not where it really began, but that is where it exploded 
basically. So Assemblies of God points to that time. So does the United Pentecostal Church, which split from the Assemblies of God over the doctrine of the Trinity, but they also lay claim to Azusa Street as the beginning of this latter reign. Who was Edward Irving? Edward Irving was a Scottish Presbyterian pastor in London. And he longed for the return of Christ. If you look at the history in Northern Europe and the United States and Canada in the 1830s, there were lots of sectarian type groups who were looking for the return of Christ. If you look more broadly in the history of the world, monarchs were beginning to be removed or executed. Large nations were giving up colonies, were losing colonies. So there was a real upheaval in society. The revolution of man-made machines was going. So all of this plays into the psyche of we must be near the end times. This must be it. Look, our monarchs are gone and so forth. So Irving kind of fell into that, that it must be time for Christ to come. But his main thing was, how can I help that along? And how can I make him come back? He became very influential. He was excommunicated. He was put on trial, excommunicated for heretical beliefs about Jesus. And they defrocked him, the British and Scottish Presbyterian Church, but his local church where he preached didn't care. So they separated from the Presbyterian Church, and he ended up being the founder of what we call the Catholic Apostolic Church, which still exists to this day. Where did Irving begin to deviate from Christian orthodoxy regarding the person of Christ? The first belief he began to preach on was that Jesus, yes, born of Mary the Virgin, however, he took on sinful flesh. That is not what scripture says about Jesus. We are told he's the lamb without spot, that he knew no sin. But Irving began to explain that Jesus, in order to become truly human, had to have sinful flesh, which meant that he not only fought against temptations, but he could have fallen into those temptations. And then at his baptism, when the anointing of the Holy Spirit came on him, then he was from that sinful And so you're dealing with the very nature of Christ, what we confess as a church since the beginning, that Jesus is the Lamb of God, spotless, no sin, um, no sin within him. Yes, he was tempted, but without sin. Whereas Irving says he could have sinned. And then we have a real problem. Because if you mess around with the very nature of Jesus in order to make him seem more human, then you're dealing with 
salvation, because unless Jesus was perfect, Lamb of God without spot or wrinkle, then he can't pay for our sins. He's got his own sins to deal with. So Irving began to focus on that. And that was one reason he was brought up on charges in the Presbyterian church. They said, you can't believe this. This is not what the church has confessed since the apostles and all the prophecies from the Old Testament. That was one of the main reasons they threw him out. What did Irving teach regarding the church and the end times? He was what we call a chilliest, which means the church had to basically take over the world, governments, schooling, everything. And then the world would be ready for Jesus to return. And so in order to do that, well, you have to have apostles in the church and prophets, because that's how the church in the book of Acts operated, that they had apostles and prophets. So those must be restored in order for Jesus to return. So Jesus Christ's return for judgment is contingent upon humans. Not that God knows the day and time, but humans set the agenda for Jesus to return. And if the miracles that the apostles did wasn't restored, then we couldn't, the church then couldn't globally impact society and prep humans for Jesus' return. So it becomes very us-focused rather than the Father knows the day and the hour. And when Jesus returns, as we confess, that's the day of judgment to judge the living and the dead. The end times has to have modern prophets and apostles, visionaries, dreamers, tongues, and interpretation. This all helps Jesus return. What was Irving's view of Scripture? He had what we call a low view of Scripture, meaning it was insufficient. In Irving's desire for Christ to return, he needed prophets and he needed tongues and interpretation because he viewed anyone who spoke in tongues and interpreted it, that it was God speaking directly. You needed these extra visions to know what Jesus was doing now. The Bible only told us what Jesus did in the first century, but we need to know what he's doing now. So they gave the words of men, whether a prophet or an apostle, authority above scripture. So scripture was no longer what we call the normative norm, the rule of our faith. It was no longer that. Instead, it was, well, what does today's prophet say? And so scripture took a secondary and sometimes even a tertiary role rather than it's above everything. It's above a sermon we hear. We are to go to scripture to see what the sermon is saying and does it align. Instead, they were looking at what the modern prophets and apostles were saying over and above what scripture taught. Who was John Darby and how did Irving's teachings influence him? 
Darby was also in this whole movement of restoring the fivefold ministry that we read of in Ephesians. And Darby was directly influenced by Irving in that he took what Irving had taught and he ran a mile with it. He just continued with, we need to restore the prophets. And one of the things Irving's church did was set up seven churches, like the churches in Revelation. They had 12 apostles. They had a few prophets. And Darby continued this. If you look online, you'll even see Darby in the outfit of what he thought was the Levitical high priest, because he was the new Elijah. He was the new forerunner of Jesus' return. And so he promoted a lot of what Irving taught him, and then he went even farther. He even has that they were transitioning out of the old doctrine into the new teachings. And one of the things Darby removed was any doctrinal statements. He believed that that was like dust. It had run its course and now we have these new teachings. And so he pushed this and he became a principal forerunner for the next guy who was John Alexander Dowie and then Charles Parham. And we will talk about them and the Azusa Street Revival as we get a history of modern Pentecostalism with Dr. Nancy Almodovar next. What does it mean to inwardly digest God's Word? Find out in Pastor Will Whedon's column in the latest Issues Etc. journal. We'll send it to you for free. Just click the red journal subscription button in the right-hand column at issuesetc.org. In the Wittenberg Trail feature, Dr. John Warwick Montgomery tells his story of finding confessional Lutheranism to be the most scripturally faithful theology. The free online Issues Etc. journal, issuesetc.org. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. Hello, this is Roy Askins with The Lutheran Witness. You've heard me talk about all the great content we publish in the print magazine of The Lutheran Witness, but I wanted to share with you that we have even more online. Visit our website, witness.lcms.org, where you'll hear even more content on worship this month in particular from Cantor Phil Magnus. We also have a series on literature right now going on and a series on church art with much more planned in the future. You can get all that for free on witness.lcms.org. The Lutheran Witness, helping you interpret the world from a Lutheran perspective. It's not about you. It's about Jesus for you. You're listening to Issues Etc. When Martin Luther preached the dedication for the Torgau Church, he asserted that nothing else happened in this house but that our dear Lord speak to us and we respond. 
in prayer, thanksgiving, and praise. Issues Etc. guest Dr. John Pless. The same could be said of Concordia Theological Seminary. This is a place where our Lord speaks to us through His Word, and we respond in joyful and thankful confession. We therefore invite you to visit our campus where the Word of Christ dwells among us richly. Learn more about studying for the vocations of pastor or deaconess at ctsfw.edu or call 1-800-481-2155. Forming servants in Jesus Christ to teach the faithful, reach the lost, and care for all. Concordia Theological Seminary, Fort Wayne, Indiana. ctsfw.edu or 1-800-481-2155. Do you long for a church where the gospel of the sinner's free justification is front and center, and yet where a robust sacramental life is confessed and lived? Do you long for a church that rejoices in the sacred scriptures as the sole basis for the church's teaching and proclamation, yet values and listens to the witness of the ancient fathers and councils? Welcome to the Lutheran Church. We are what you've been looking for. Find a Christ-centered, cross-focused church near you on the Find the Church page at issuesetc.org. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. We are getting a history of modern Pentecostalism with Dr. Nancy Almodovar, adjunct professor of world religions at Park University, author of several books, including her latest, Creedal Apologetics, and a column for the Logia Journal titled The Forgotten History of Modern Pentecostalism. Before the break, Nancy, you mentioned John Alexander Dowie and Charles Parham. They were the instigators of the Azusa Street Revival. How were they influenced by Irving's teachings? Right, because Irving's teaching direct revelation from God. Modern Christians will say, God told me. Well, my usual response then is, what book, chapter, and verse? But American Christians especially are so used to God told me language that sometimes you find that even in Lutheran circles. Well, God told me. No, he didn't, because that would be direct revelation, and that would be scripture. So, Alexander Dowie takes that part of Irving's teaching, and now he's hearing directly from God. And now Dowie is becoming the first apostle. So we're a couple of decades after Irving, but that influence through Darby spreads to Dowie, and Thousands flock to Chicago, where his church was, looking for the spirit baptism, because there must be a spirit baptism. Baptism's just water. So you have the spirit baptism where now you're either a prophet, or you can speak in tongues, or you can interpret, and now we can go into the world with this. And Dowie taught that everyone could hear from God directly, whereas Irving and Darby kind of kept it within the 12 apostles that they set up. Dowie now is saying, hmm, everyone can be a prophet and called to be an apostle, man or woman, didn't matter. So he also held that this was a latter times new work 
of God. And that is a phrase, latter times or latter days, you will hear continually out of assemblies of God churches for the most part. They're saying, we live in this latter time. It duplicates what happened to the church in Acts. So we have prophets and apostles for today. And Parham, he's the one that the church I grew up in, in in Ridgewood, New York, was mostly influential on. He held studies in Zion, Illinois, (laughs) founded a Bible school, and he had his students fast and pray until they received the gift of tongues, which they did on a New Year's Eve. At least that's what they say. And so he comes along and he believes that these languages are actual languages around the world. And so now they stretch Irving's teaching that you can't have Christ come back unless you have prophets and apostles and the gifts are back. Well, now we're going to use these tongues to send missionaries to these nations. They'll never have to learn the language because they can speak it by the Spirit. Problem was, that never happened. Anytime anyone's tested tongues and interpretation, it's never shown up as a real language. When I worked with Wycliffe Bible Translators in the 90s, the linguistic branch, Summer Institute Institute of Linguistics, actually did a study, and they showed that these languages were not earthly. I guess that was part of God starting to pull me away from Pentecostalism. But Parham is the one who has his school experience this, and then from him, other leaders went out, and one of which becomes the Azusa Street revival leader, if you can call it that. What was the Pentecostals' full gospel? The gospel is not simply the forgiveness of sins. No. You have to have the whole. Sometimes they call it four square. The full gospel is obviously saving from sins, but then also healing of every disease, and then your prophets and apostles. And so when you talk to a Pentecostal and they want to share the gospel with you, they will call it full gospel. You don't have the full gospel, which usually means you don't have miraculous healing in your belief system. And so people flocked for healing. I remember reading Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones on this, uh, good Presbyterian, and he stated most of this was psychological, where people went with limp, they came out and they weren't limping anymore, but then three days later there'd be a limp. But this full gospel must include physical healing. They apply scriptures that speak of healing of our sinful condition as, well, that's healing for your body. And if you don't get healed, then there's something wrong with your faith. And that's what the full gospel entails. It has this miraculous portion that's often emphasized more than the fact that your sins are forgiven. 
They want to focus on, let's show the healings. I mean, and we've all seen it probably like the Benny Hinn crusades, you know, where people go up and they go up on a mattress and then they get healed. That's what they want to call the full gospel. It includes healing from every disease. But if you don't get healed, then there's something wrong with your faith. So it's a very oppressive full message. I can't even say it's a gospel if it's oppressive. How does confessional Lutheran theology guard against the errors of Pentecostalism? The one way that has been correcting even the theology I grew up with, even to this day, five years, almost six years being a Lutheran, has been, what does the scripture say? Because that's where the guard is set around us that protects us. The problem is so many are influenced by folks in the Christian bookstore shelves that they're forgetting their catechism. So my pastor always reminds us to be reading our catechism well after confirmation because the catechism teaches us what scripture says. We should be in scripture because that keeps us from error. And It's hard for Lutherans to say, that's wrong. For instance, young lady I mentor shared with me that she was in a Bible study that was not Lutheran. And they began to look at what the opinion of the other students were in this little Bible study group. And she stood up and basically said, that's not how we read the Bible. It tells us what we are to believe. It's not our opinion. Well, the young lady was never invited back, but that's what we face. We as confessional Lutherans have to take the stand of what does scripture say? Does scripture say that at the end, there's going to be a new seven churches in England led by 12 apostles? Then Jesus can return. What does the Bible say? It seems like a simple question that Lutherans can do, but it's hard because you also need to kind of know what they're believing. So I always tell my friends, well, you all grew up Lutheran. You know the scripture so well, but find out what they really believe so that you can defend against it. And we have to guard against this idea specifically of God told me directly. No, he didn't. The word of God can direct us. God moves in the world to direct us, but you did not hear God's voice directly in your heart or your ears. Chapter, book, and verse, please. That's how we guard against this. Dr. Nancy Almodovar is adjunct professor of world religions at Park University, author of several books, including her latest, Creedal Apologetics, and a column for the Logia Journal titled The Forgotten History of Modern Pentecostalism. Find out more about Logia, a journal of Lutheran theology, at lutheracademy.com. Luther Academy promotes confessional Lutheran theology and research through conferences, scholarly exchanges, and publications like Logia, lutheracademy.com. Nancy, thank you. Thanks for having me back. It's been a while, so I'm glad to be back. Thank you. Next week on Issues Etc., we'll discuss the top movies of 2023 with Pastor Ted Geese. We'll look forward to Sunday morning with Pastors Will Whedon and Sean Denzer, and we'll continue our Kids Have Questions series with 
Pastor Jonathan Connor. I'm Todd Wilkin. Go to church on Sunday. Thanks for listening to Issues Etc. afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., PO Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc. is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.